computer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Informational Interviews hosted by the Actuarial Science Club here at Nebraska. Today, we have Will Barlow. Will Barlow graduated summa cum laude from Vanderbilt University with degrees in mathematics and physics. He later went on to pursue a Master of Education from Ohio State University. Will didn't initially pursue actuarial science as his first career choice, but he later stumbled upon it in his journey. He is an associate of the Society of Actuaries and currently my boss at Humana on the Corporate Actuarial Valuation Team. Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you, Matt? Doing well, doing well. We're very happy to have you on here today and share a little bit about your story and how you stumbled upon actuarial science. So we're really excited about that. Well, I guess without further ado, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your professional story before you decided to pursue actuarial science? Yeah, so growing up, I was always interested in math, always enjoyed math. And so I guess up until high school, I always thought I would do something related to math. Then high school, uh, sophomore year of high school, I took a physics, my first physics class and fell in love with physics. And so at that point, uh, I felt, you know, maybe physics engineering or something uh, math related would be in my future and uh, ended up going to, to Vandy and spent uh, four years there and, and really enjoyed it and uh, went in thinking I'd do physics and philosophy and ended up doing and have a math minor and uh, ended up doing physics and math. Uh, double majors and kicked the philosophy major pretty early um, and yeah so that's that's sort of my college story and then uh, right out of college I actually worked in environmental health and safety for a manufacturing company and then quickly transitioned to teaching and that's when I went to Ohio State and got the master's degree and from then on I taught for a little bit and so I taught uh, mostly Algebra 1 and Algebra 2, and um, I taught a summer of uh, business statistics at community college, and then my wife and I, uh, during that period of time, uh, went on a, a mission trip, a six-month mission trip, and did that, and then we decided to go to divinity school for a brief period of time and did that, and so when throughout this whole period of time, you know, I enjoyed teaching. I loved uh, being around the kids. Um, I obviously love math. And so um, that was all very enjoyable. The parts about teaching that I didn't like were the political aspects of it. Um, being told what to teach and knowing that certain kids weren't going to be able to reach that standard. Uh, that was incredibly difficult emotionally for me. So you know, there were definitely twists and turns during that time and things I had to think about and consider. And, and I ultimately decided when we moved here to Louisville five and a half years ago that I wanted to, if I could, to make a, <clears throat> make a career change. And actually in college, I had stumbled across actuarial uh, field and I had interviewed and actually had been offered a job at an actuarial firm in Nashville and uh, ended up turning it down because at that point, I was already starting to uh, date the woman who'd become my wife, and I knew I was going to be sort of in in and out of different places, and didn't have the time to study for exams, and and uh, was going to be long distance and all of that. So I I just didn't have time for actuarial uh, career early in my career, and so when we moved to Louisville, uh, I started st studying, and I I tutored part time and studied 
little bit more part-time than I was tutoring. Uh, and so I passed P and FM pretty quickly. And then uh, Humana picked, you know, I applied to Humana and got hired. And the rest, as they say, is history. I've been at Humana for four and a half, almost five years now. So That's awesome. And that's so cool to kind of see each like individual twist and turn of how like you, you know, started in physics and math. And before that, it was philosophy and physics. That's, that's such an interesting combo. That's, that would have been like so cool to be able to like major in as well. But that's so cool that, you know, you actually initially stumbled upon it in college, but at the time you're like, it's not exactly the right fit for me. Um, But that's so cool. You were able to kind of come back and then understand like, okay, this is what I really like about my teaching profession. I love the teaching aspect and like being with the kids, but the whole Mm -hmm. political aspect, I'm sure that has to be so difficult um, dealing with students and, you know, not being able to like help them in a way that, you know, you can, but it's, it's unfortunate, but that's incredibly interesting that that's how you stumbled upon it. Um, your love for mathematics and teaching, um, cause actuarial science, we're, we're big teachers as well for, um, That's right. everyone in the company. So it's, it's great to see that you've capitalized on both your passions and, and actuarial science. Um, so you said you stumbled upon it initially in college and then whenever you moved to Louisville. So what prompted you to want to pursue that actuarial career after you decided to move to Louisville? Um, mm-hmm. well, so one of the big reasons that I wanted to be uh, a teacher was because I wanted to do something that had an impact in society and and help people. And uh, as I started researching the actuarial field, as, as you already mentioned, I saw that there were, I mean, obviously there are elements of mathematics and actuarial science, and that's, that's very obvious even from the, from the outside. Um, So, but the teaching aspects of it and the communicating uh, of technical ideas that came across my radar screen pretty early researching it here before I started taking exams. And then the idea of working for a company, um, you know, the right company uh, would, uh, give, gave me an opportunity to uh, also consider my impact on society and, and on the members that we serve at Humana, for example. And so as I started researching companies, I realized Humana was uh, going to be a great culture fit for me. And uh, so that excited me as well, the ability to uh, buy into a corporate vision and, uh, and really see the impact that a company like Humana can have on, on society. And so that's been interesting to see that develop as well, because I think that was a question mark for me early on in the process before I knew I was going to end up at Humana, before I knew exactly which actuarial field I was going to pursue. Um, I was attracted to health pretty early on because of those concerns, wanting to have an impact on society and, and, and help and help people as much as I possibly could. Um, and so I think those are all the things I thought about as I was investigating things. Um, but yeah, Humana pretty early on separated itself from the other companies I was looking at. And it's really where I wanted to end up uh, being. And, and, and thankfully, they, uh, they saw that I was a fit too. And, and I've been here and been, been very happy to be here. That's awesome. Um, and it, it totally worked out too. Because like one of the biggest things I've heard people say is uh, with the job, typically some of the work is fairly similar across like life and health. Like some of the stuff is, but not all of it. Um, but you need to be able to find a place that fits you. That is huge and a common theme that I've heard across talking with like 
everyone. Like you need to find what's best fit for you. And Humana, like you said, um, I love their corporate vision. I've loved what they've done and I love what they do for their members. And I think it's fantastic. Um, but that's so cool to see that, you know, one of the main reasons that drove you to teaching was you wanted to make an impact in the community. Um, it was very similar within the actuarial field as well. You wanted to drive change within the community that you serve. Now, I'm guessing with Humana, there's obviously more of a, I guess, widespread, like nationwide <laughs> change that we could impact, which is really cool um, with actuarial. Um, but within teaching, it's it's typically within, um, you know, those students that you, you, you get to develop those personal connections. So I guess it's a little bit different in that regard, but you're still, at the end of the day, you're still pursuing what you want to do which is to make your community better which is fantastic that's awesome so along your professional journey what were some fundamental principles that you regularly relied on i think one of the biggest things that i believe in i know it's i'm gonna sound very old-fashioned um i'm turning 35 this year so you know i'm getting to the point where you could vote for me for president you know it's I'm getting older, you know, so I'm going to sound old fashioned here, but you know, there's nothing that beats just good old fashioned hustle and effort. And uh, that served me well in all the different transitions. So I've been, I've been in and out of a lot of different schools. I've been in and out of a lot of different jobs over the years um, until being more stable here with Humana for the last four and a half years. And so one of the things that's helped me is as I transition into something new, especially uh, just putting in the work that's necessary to learn what I need to learn and to provide value to that organization in whatever way I can do that. And I think, um, I think the talents that you have develop over time and the things that you can offer develop over time and, you know, uh, taking the time every day to just make yourself a little bit better, a little bit stronger over time that adds up and, and you never know what's around the corner. You never know what kind of societal changes are going to be happening. What kind of legal changes are going to be happening? Uh, what kind of markets are going to be opening up or closing down? And so when I think about especially job skills or, or skills just in general, uh, you know, there are obviously things that are applicable to many things like communication skills um, and uh, the ability to to present ideas clearly to a group of people, you know, um, there's just all sorts of different skills that are are widely applicable. You can find lists of them on the internet, but what really ties all of those together in my mind is just uh, the desire um, and the willingness to put in the work that it takes to be successful. And that's gonna that's gonna change over time, and what that looks like with your work life balance is gonna change over time too. It it looks different for me now having two small children than it did when I first started taking exams. And that's why I tried to pass exams as quickly as I could. Cause I saw, you know, kids were going to come on the way and I needed to pass these exams as quickly as I could. And, and that's what ultimately led me also to be a career ASA and not to pursue my FSA is, is being a career changer and being a little bit older and having kids. So, um, so all, all about to say that, you know, things will change in our markets over time and things will change in our society over time. But I don't, I don't see, the importance of good old fashioned hard work changing over time. Oh, I totally agree. Just like you said, just putting in a little bit a day, um, you know, is the bare minimum. 
which we should be doing because like you said a little bit of hard work as actuaries know and it's like on one of the first exams compounding interest you keep putting in this a little bit over time you're going to start exponentially just growing in whatever you're you're trying to get better at um and honestly that's that's one of the biggest things is practice makes perfect we need to be able to put in the time to become proficient in whatever we want to really achieve so that's you know I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you kind of highlighted that because uh it does sound old-fashioned but it's so true um and, and to this day and I, I still live by that as well um and I I absolutely you know love it um hustle and effort is exactly kind of like what people need in order to really push themselves over that limit of good to great so mm-hmm. it's and it's still evident in in the world we see today especially in actuarial so that's very true mm-hmm. So what advice would you offer those that are looking for a career change similar to what you kind of went through? Well, I think, you know, like I mentioned before, you have to make sure that, you know, what kind of values are you looking for? What kind of, what kind of work are you looking to do? Uh, Are you okay with being behind a desk or do you need to be around people? That's a little bit more difficult (laughs) under these circumstances with COVID and everything, but, but still worth considering uh, long-term, uh, because eventually this will get better and become more manageable and that sort of thing. So I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, again, work-life balance, you know, what, what kind of hours can you put in or do you want to put in because of your, your home environment, what you're dealing with there, um, what your priorities are there. I think your values in terms of what kind of work you want to do and what kind of an impact you want to make. Um, you know, that has to, that has to take, uh, some consideration as well. And, you know, then, then you think about, uh, you know, where you want to be in the country, where you want to be located. And so for us, moving to Louisville was about family. And then the Humana piece sort of slid into place after that. And I'm very thankful that it happened that way. It's, uh, some people, I guess, would call it serendipitous, but you know, it, it was certainly fortunate for for me to find such a great company in the town I wanted to live in because of my, you know, putting family first. Um, so that was uh, very exciting for for us to see that uh, develop over over that time. Um, and then, yeah, and then and then just seeing sort of um, what kind of stuff you know motivates you. What kind of stuff are you passionate about working around? You know. Uh, if it's someone who's interested in actuarial field, does health excite you or does life excite you or does property and casualty, you know, what, what kind of work um, would make you feel like you're making the impact that you want to make um, motivationally? And so th- I think these are all things that I, I consider if people are, are thinking about uh, making a career change from another field to actuarial. Um, I've, I've definitely, like you've mentioned before, I definitely have seen that a lot of the good things I enjoyed about teaching, I was able to bring forward. And a lot of um, a lot of the things that I didn't like, I was able to leave behind. But you know, you always exchange that for new likes and new dislikes. And so there's no, um, as far as I'm aware of, there's no perfect job, there's no perfect company, um, and you know, we we're human and we're not perfect. So we just do the best that we can do in each of the situations that we're uh, put into, and and we put ourselves into, and. Uh, and just just sort of work work things from there. And if a change needs to be made, even inside of a large company like Humana, changes can be made. And and people people move around. People come into the actuarial field. They leave. 
they leave to do finance work. They leave to do market work. They leave to do, I'm sure, sales work and other work. So um, the skills that you learn in the actuarial field can transition you out of the actuarial field. And things that you learn from outside the actual actuarial field can transition you into it. So uh, it works both ways. And so I would just encourage those who are interested in the actuarial field, if they're in their late 20s like I was when they were thinking about the transition, or even if they're 30, in their 30s and 40s, our, our former uh, VP, um, she started making her transition um, when she was in her 50s, I believe. And she ended up with an FSA. And end up retiring as a as a VP, I believe. So, I mean, it's it's never it's really never too late. She might have been in her late forties, but it's really it's never too late to consider the actuarial field. And um, or if you're in the actuarial field, it's never too late to if you decide that hey, I want to do something that's a little bit different. The to do to take these skills that you learn in the actuarial field and take the, and take them to another field. It, it, it's definitely a lot of these skills are transferable. You know, that's incredibly interesting to see that it's such a transferable um, job. I mean, everything, like there's so many skills that you learn whenever you're an actuary that are just so crucial to have just with honestly anything like data analysis, mm -hmm. communication, and communicating hard technical mm -hmm. like capabilities to people that don't know about the technical side of things mm -hmm. um there are so many transferable skills about that and that's so cool to see that i didn't know about that story about how there was a um a, a previous vp that actually started studying for their exams and achieved their fsa um in their you know late 40s uh early 50s that's that's awesome mm -hmm. um so like you said there's that's one of the big things that i've seen uh with students struggling with is the ability to digest how much time it's going to take to do, mm -hmm. get through this exam process. But one of the big things that you kind of highlighted here is that as long as you understand that this is something you want to do, this is something that motivates you to do, mm -hmm. you know, in the future, that it can be done. And, it, you know, it'll obviously give you some pretty good uh, rewards as well, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, but that's so cool to see. Like another thing that I saw was work-life balance. Um, you need to be able to understand and really be able to read yourself mm -hmm. and identify, you know, your strengths, weaknesses, what drives you, what motivates you. Cause if you don't understand those, you know, sooner, it's going to be hard to kind of find a position that, you know, you're going to really flourish in. Um, but that's, you know, needless to say, like you said, it doesn't matter if you don't find it sooner rather than later. If you find it later, that's fine. People have flourished in the field. Um, but if you also have found it, you know, sooner, I'm, you still do well. It doesn't really matter when you find it. It just matters that you're able to identify it at some point and then capitalize upon it. So that's fantastic. Now, throughout your career as an actuary, what has surprised you the most? Well, uh, there's a couple of things that have surprised me. Uh, one of the things that surprised me was getting into a corporate environment and then seeing, uh, seeing what a 21st century company sort of looked like in the community more. I think that was more skeptical about that because I've been, I've been around the block a few times. You've seen my resume. I've worked for a lot of different schools. I've worked for a couple of different companies. I worked for the city of Little Rock for a couple of summers and a couple of different programs. 
So, you know, I've seen, I've seen government, I've seen uh, different school districts, I've seen different, different corporations. And you always have those, those lines that people buy into, oh, our mission statement is this, and our goals are these, and, and, and all those, those ideas. And what happens at a lot of companies and a lot of organizations is that's on a web page somewhere and no one cares about it. They don't reference it and it doesn't really motivate them. And so when I came to Humana, I think I was a little skeptical about the five Humana values and for um, just, uh, you know, would they really line up with what we do on a daily basis? Do they really, you know, how, how do they really decide that they want to interact with members? And, you know, Humana is essentially, I mean, we call ourselves a health company, right? But we're essentially, an, most people call us an insurance company. And that has such a negative connotation as well. And so, so here I am, I'm 29 years old. I'm, I'm going to work for the man, you know, and I'm like, you know, gosh, I'm working for the man. And who knows if they even care about these values. I care about these values. I buy, I bought into them as a new hire. You know, I'm, I'm interested in helping our community, but just to see everything that Humana has done over the past five years, uh, almost I've uh, been here, uh, how we've, um, how we interact with members. And I don't, I've never been in a client facing role where I've really got to interact with members a lot, but to see all the programs that we've tried to put in place for our members, and especially recently with the COVID-19 crisis and everything that's been going on around that, Humana has just uh, bent over backwards in a lot of ways to help the communities that we serve and having now being a leader and being in the leadership calls with, with the, the leadership, uh, starting with our CEO, Bruce Broussard and, and other leaders. It's just, it's been amazing for me to hear what they're thinking about in terms about helping our members and what's on their mind and how we really are in a lot of ways, a, a, a service organization. We view ourselves as a service organization and, you know, we're here to serve our members and to provide the best, um, the best service that we can provide and, you know, health insurance and, and the whole health environment. This is a very personal subject. It's a, it's obviously critical a life critical to many, many people that we serve um, that have, you know, end-stage renal disease or, or diabetes or uh, any number of chronic conditions. Um, and just to, to think about a company that's, that's helping serve people that have been diagnosed with that, but also to manage as much as we can uh, people that haven't been yet diagnosed with that and to help them avoid some of those, some of those uh, chronic conditions. It's, and to, to think about, all the things that's in the mind of our CEO and leadership all the way on down in terms of serving our membership, that, that has been a surprise to me. Honestly, I, I wouldn't have thought that uh, the company would, would, uh, would care that much, but it's not. And with humanity, I'll just say this, it's not just about our bottom line, obviously preventing chronic conditions helps our bottom line, but I do believe that I know, I know I do. And I, I do believe that the leadership above me absolutely cares about the health and well-being of all of the members that we serve. And so to work for a company like that, yeah, I'm working for the man, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a different, it's a, it's a whole new world when it comes to corporate responsibility and, and uh, interacting with, with, uh, with the community around us. Exactly. And I couldn't really say it better than you just said it right there. Um, the way that the values are echoed throughout the chain of command absolutely crazy i mean uh, i was kind of skeptical at first I'll, I'll admit to it um to the whole values because i know 
I know how companies are. I've heard stories about how, oh, you know, these are our values. Go check it on our, you know, values page or whatever that we have for our company. And, you know, it during the interview process, it really seems like, oh, yeah, they're gung-ho about this. But whenever you actually step onto the campus and actually check it out, you kind of actually get a glimpse into what is really at hand. Um, Humana, by far, like, I, I, it's been crazy. Like, they echo it throughout everywhere and it's it's seen everywhere i mean it's awesome um to see like you know how well that's perceived not only by senior leadership but also by just the young like the young actuarial like analysts that are coming in are also buying into this tactic as well uh, well not tactic but you know what i mean but like the actual values and they're they're buying in which is you know crazy that it's seen all the way at the top and all the way at the bottom all throughout so that's fantastic to see. And like you said, um, this is a very critical service that they offer. Um, you, like you said, it's a lot of people see it as an insurance company. Um, a lot of health insurance companies are now a lot of health service companies. They've either acquired, you know, pharmacies and all that fun stuff. And there's so much that they can do now and they have so much more capabilities to really, you know, provide better service to help assist either preventing chronic conditions or, you know, slowing them down if they've already occurred. So mm -hmm. it's fantastic to see um, with that. And I think that actually kind of bled into a little bit of the next to like the follow-up question, <laughs> but um, <laughs> how has the health industry progressed throughout your time as an actuary? Yeah. So when I, when I started taking exams, the ACA had been passed and had already been in effect, but there were obviously some, still some kinks here and there. They were still working out in the courts and different things. And honestly, some of those kinks just got worked out this year, you know, court, different court things this year. And, um, you know, uh, president Trump got elected and then there were some questions about whether the ACA would be repealed or not. And so there's this up and down and all around there. And I think, you know, we have some interesting things on the horizon in, in the health space, because I do think that one way or another, we're going to have a, a more, I'm going to say, more comprehensive national structure for healthcare. I don't know exactly what it'll look like, um, but I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, um, that it will be more like a Medicare advantage for all kind of a thing, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think obviously having worked for Humana, having been in a pricing role for the first two years of, of my time at Humana, um, I believe very strongly in the Humana products that we offer uh, in the Medicare Advantage space. And I think that um, really all the insurance companies that provide uh, Medicare Advantage plans, they're providing a great service uh, to our country uh, and to the people that they serve. And so I'm a big believer in that program. And so I hope whatever reforms take place would include a provision for a, for, a, uh, you know, a Medicare Advantage type of option. Um, but, you know, I, I do think long-term there's going to be some larger scale changes. And so, you know, I think, I don't know how much has changed in the five years that I've, I've been in the health space as much as I see a lot of potential for change in the future. And so, you know, I, I just think, as a society, we have to get our, our minds wrapped around how to solve some of these very complex issues. And there's no one size fits all solution, but I think, I think it's gonna have to include um, an increase in managed care across the health space, not just 
um, you know, a lot of the seniors that get Medicare Advantage plans, they're getting wonderful managed care, whether from Humana for another insurance provider. But not a lot of people, especially the people that are running up big ER bills and things like that in the commercial space, not a lot of them are, are receiving very, very good managed care. And so uh, one way to reduce costs is to start managing more people and ha having more people cared for on a more regular basis and, and identifying some of these things earlier on in life. And, um, but you know, it, 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 it involves everything. It involves, uh, and from my time in education, I can tell you the same thing. In, in, uh, in education, for example, two thirds of any individual's child's outcome is tied to home factors, uh, not the school. Yeah, so, so it's just fascinating to consider how important the home environment is. And I think similarly with healthcare, there are much larger home factors, societal factors, um, food insecurity, um, you know, the list goes on and on and on, housing, housing issues, water issues, uh, water security issues. So, uh, you know, you did, the list just goes on and on. And, but I will say this, from what I know about Humana's handling of the COVID crisis, you know, we're, the Humana's upper leadership is aware of things like food insecurity, and they care about food insecurity for our Medicare Advantage uh, members. And they've been working on stuff like that during this crisis. And I think that long-term uh, health insurers like Humana will have a great opportunity in coming together with uh, various uh, companies and organizations and including the government, I'm sure, in terms of grants and so forth, uh, in terms of solving some of these large issues that are, that are plaguing our society and that are related to health, like food insecurity, like water, uh, water quality. And so I, I just think, I think that in the future, there's just, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of um, synergies that are going to be available in the health space that are, I think, I think are going to be really exciting. I can definitely agree because just in general, healthcare, um, ever since I've been in it, which has been only like two summers, essentially, it's been <laughs> so dynamic. And that's just two summers that I've been in it. Um, and that's so cool that, you know, like, that you kind of like succeeded to the thing that in the future, there's definitely going to be so many different types of changes. And it's going to be so interesting. And I'm sure innovative whenever we actually mm -hmm. get come to those, but there's not going to be a one size fits all. We got to really focus on managed care for each individual. That's huge mm -hmm. and for the future. So, and that's interesting with the, the, the teaching uh, tidbit that you uh, provided there, like that two thirds of the, uh, the child's actual outcome, like at home mm -hmm. is determined um, by their, like in their, like their success. Like that's interesting. I didn't know that. And that was a cool mm -hmm. parallel you drew upon that, the health insurance field. Um, but in, incredibly interesting, you know, the, to see what the future can really potentially hold. Cause like, honestly, that we're trying to predict it as actuaries, but we really never know until it really hits us. So it's, and we're on the front end of it and it is mm -hmm. awesome to say the very least. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So what advice would you offer for those who are currently looking for internships or job prospects during this pandemic? Mm -hmm. Well, I think in terms of the actuarial field, I think, you know, it's always good to uh, pass, pass those exams and, and knock out for your long path per se. I think that always looks good. Uh, I think that uh, Written communication skills are some of the most important for helping you get in the door. And then when you do get an interview, uh, obviously your oral communication skills are going to be incredibly vital. And so 
you know, I think, especially if you're on the younger end and you're talking about internships, you know, um, having a test uh, under your belt passed before your first internship is going to be incredibly helpful. Uh, Two tests gives you a leg up. And then if you're a returning intern or if you've had internship before, if you're looking for an entry level position, you know, I think two tests is pretty standard across the, across the, um, the industry and, you know, more looks, I think better. And you know, a lot of students ask, well, if I pass too many tests, you know, are are people not going to hire me? Um, you know, I, so I would just look at that from a long-term perspective, from a company like Humana's perspective. And I'll just, I'll just sort of interact with you on this one. If I'm, if I'm at Humana and I'm a hiring manager, let's say I've got someone with, with two tests and they've got a good GPA and they, they, they check off all the other boxes and, you know, we would, we would definitely hire them. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring them in at $60,000 a year. I don't know, you know, something like that. And let's say I've got somebody who's got, their ASA, you know, seven tests, all the others, bells and whistles, everything. Now I'm going to have to spend, when I first hire them, I'm going to have to spend 75 grand to hire them. That's a 15 grand difference for that first year or so. Um, and they're already going to be eligible for their next two promotions, you know, in terms of testing and all that stuff, not work experience. Uh, if I'm a hiring manager, Humana, I know I'm going to have to spend 15K more for, for a couple of years for this person. At some point, those two people are going to level out, you know, because they're going to eventually reach the same essentially level of pay, maybe five years out, maybe seven years out. So you're paying a little extra. What would you pay for peace of mind knowing that someone already had their ASA and already was highly motivated because they already had their ASA? So I'll let you answer that question. That's, you know, that's a good question. I didn't think of it like that because, you know, that is a premium to really kind of, that's hard to put a price on. But like, Mm That is an interesting way of thinking about it because at some point they are going to level off and those Mm -hmm. that have already taken the initiative to really Mm -hmm. go ahead and do that are definitely some people that, let me tell you, they're definitely some motivated people because those exams are not easy. Correct. Uh, So that's, you know, that's, I don't know. (laughs) I I couldn't put a price on it, but that's, yeah. I and agree. the company won't have to pay for seminars for those people for all the entry level exams and they won't have to pay for travel. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think financially, you know, we could probably figure it out here between the two of us pretty quick, but you know, who knows, maybe it's uh, maybe it ends up being a 30 K more over five years or 50 K more over five years in terms of salary offset by lower study costs. You know, who knows, maybe it'd be something like that, but um, someone who has an ASA, who's highly motivated, who, you know, graduates with an ASA, you know, that's, that's incredibly impressive. I don't think, I don't think you're going to get disqualified by Humana because you already have your ASA. <laughs> I'll put it that way. There you go. But um, that's incredibly interesting to see that like one of the big things um, whenever you're looking for internships or jobs during this whole thing is exams, exams, exams. You need to have at least one to two passed. Mm-hmm. If you want an internship, or if you want a job prospect, those are huge. Um, but the written and communication skills and the oral communication skills, also two of the biggest, I guess, tellers of whether you can not only just be, do well in the field, but actually like really succeed. Because right. one of the big things is with actuaries, we're all very smart people and we're very, you know, 
sound technically um, as long as we are given the skills to develop those skills, like, you know, technical skills. But having the ability to concretely just state this is what the issue is to someone mm. that doesn't have that technical background skills, that is definitely something that is a necessity for actuarial and it's it's a little bit harder to kind of stumble upon now but i think a lot of students are getting better at it and recognizing that that is a huge mm -hmm. skill that we need to develop um and that's you know that's really cool that you kind of uh, mentioned the whole thing about i didn't i never thought of it in that scenario but that's so true um an individual that has an asa already whenever they're graduated um that is a very highly motivated individual and that is not uh it's essentially a premium that you're paying for a skill or not really a skill but a mindset that someone most likely has and those types of people um are and will go far mm -hmm. in, in in an industry um so that's i never thought of it like that and you, you stumped me on that one because I, I i couldn't <laughs> put a number on it you know we'd have to take a few expected values or whatever right yeah. days and stuff like that and you know put some put some numbers to it but i'm sure we could figure it out but that's that's an incredibly interesting way to go about thinking about that is i don't think you'd get shot down initially from it there are some companies that i've asked and like no don't don't do that but at the same time just like you know it's also saving you guys a lot of time that he they have their designation and they can start signing off on a lot of different things for the company and start really contributing right off the bat so mm -hmm. incredibly interesting way of thinking about that. That, that you stumped me on that one that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> all right so this is my favorite question i always like to do a fun little question at the end of the podcast uh, based on people's experiences and so you went to vanderbilt which is mm -hmm. located in nashville tennessee and I, I haven't been to Nashville yet, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking to go there eventually. So what are the top three places to check out in Nashville? Yeah, I mean, so one of the coolest areas that people talk about a lot, and I didn't, you know, I'm going to sound like a, a nerd probably, but I didn't go there much, uh, was downtown. There's a great strip of, of bars and clubs and different things uh, down Broadway. Um, there's, there's a couple there's there's one bar in particular I remember going to once that uh, has multiple levels, different musics on every level. You can dance, do different stuff on every level. It's just um, they do music right in Nashville. I know you've probably heard that before, but they do. And it's not just country. I mean, I'm not a huge country fan. Uh, maybe I'm offending some of your listeners now, but I'm not a huge country fan. I'm not totally against it. But I'm just, you know, more of a rock guy. Um, but, you know, uh, it's a great scene for rock. It's a great scene for all sorts of music. Uh, it's a great scene for Christian music. It's a great scene for um, pretty much anything. So, you know, if you're an up and coming artist, you know, that's a great place to be. And it's a great place to see people at different cafes and things like that. It, it, it really is uh, a great place for music just generally. Um, so I'm going to sort of lump all that in grand old Opry, all that stuff before I lumped in one. Uh, the second is, um, you, you've got uh, the Parthenon and, and the area right around Vanderbilt campus, which is um, Vanderbilt campus is one of the most beautiful places, I think, in the, in the country. It's really, and I know I spent four years there and I'm highly biased, but if you go to Nashville, I, you know, just walk on campus and it's a, just one a remarkable campus. It's a natural, national arboretum. Most people don't know that. And so you have a lot of, um, placards all over the place identifying trees and it's just a, a beautiful place to go especially 
in the spring. I highly recommend it. In terms of restaurants, uh, sort of my third category, uh, there's a, a cafe called Calypso Cafe that was close to campus. I think they had two locations at, at one point, um, but it's Caribbean jerk chicken. It's fantastic. Um, most of my places I know are right around campus. Amerigo's is a great Italian place. We're close to campus. Um, and then there was a, a taco place called Satco, which wasn't just good. It was also very affordable for college students. So, uh, And then for breakfast, there's a great place called Pantry, pa Pancake Pantry that's also near campus. So I know I'm limited a little bit because I lived in the Vandy bubble for four years, but uh, those are those are my top three places. That's awesome. And I did not know that Vanderbilt is a national arboretum. That is so cool. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that is really cool. Cause I, I'd been to Nashville, like when I was younger, like when I was like, I think ninth or 10th grade, like way mm -hmm. back in the day of high school. Um, but we went on Vanderbilt's campus. It's absolutely gorgeous. I remember mm -hmm. that. And I, Oh, I, I just love going around there just checking out everything. It was beautiful, but fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much, Will, for sharing your insights on, you know, your, your career path, uh, stumbling upon actuarial science, some surprises throughout your actuarial career, um, and just where you think the actuarial career for health is going to take off here in the few. Um, I've greatly appreciated all the insights you offered, and um, thank you so much for coming on here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Matt. I really appreciate the opportunity. Fantastic. Well, we, again, we really greatly appreciated having you on, but without further ado, we will be signing off now.